Coffee, Cows, and Crops is produced by the Peace Country Beef and Forage Association and hosted by Extension Coordinator Johanna Murray. On this podcast, we discuss management practices and research results with scientists, ranchers, researchers, and farmers. We strive to share innovative information and farming practices supported by sound science and practical wisdom. So grab a cup of coffee and let's get learning. Hi, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to Coffee, Cows, and Crops. In today's episode, I'm chatting with Jeremy Boychin from the Alberta Wheat and Barley Commissions about the seeding rate trial that they're working on in the peace country this year. But before we get into all the fun stuff, Jeremy, would you like to introduce yourself and tell me a bit about how you got started with the Wheat Commission? Sure. So, yeah, uh, my name is Jeremy Boychin. I'm the Agronomy Research Extension Specialist with the Alberta Wheat and Alberta Barley Commissions. So my role is to help extend research results, um, agronomic research results that we would fund uh, through levy dollars. So research is a huge part of what Alberta wheat and Alberta barley do. We we fund a lot of breeding and agronomic research, um, so we can circle that back to farmers, so you know they can be more profitable and, and more efficient on their farm. Um, so my role is to take those results and, and translate them into various forms like podcasts or in our newsletter um, and tech sheets and field days and things like that so you know I started my career in Ontario I I grew up on a small horticulture farm we had about 100 acres of pretty much every fruit and vegetable we could grow in southern Ontario so um, raspberries and strawberries and corn and eggplant and tomatoes and potatoes and everything Uh, And we had a few acres of greenhouse and and we had a farm market. We sold right to the public there. And I went to the University of Guelph and did an undergrad in in horticultural science and then a master's in plant physiology. Uh, And then spent a few years with Cargill as an agronomist and then spent a a couple of years with Nutri-Ag, a specialty fertility company, and then jumped on with Alberta wheat and Alberta barley in 2018. It has been a blast you know, working with commissions and, and on the extension side, um, the number of producers I get to communicate with and get an understanding of the challenges that they work with. It's, it's been a great experience so far. So. so can you tell me a bit more about the wheat and barley commissions? I'm on the cattle side, so I don't know a lot about them or what they do. For sure. So, I mean, Alberta wheat and Alberta barley are two separate commissions. We're run by one staff, though. So one one staff um, works on both commissions. Um, so each commission will will have their own um, set of directors. Uh, so it is a producer directed organizations. Um, and we look to represent the interests and, and serve as a single voice for producers, um, both on the wheat and the barley side. Um, so I mentioned that research is a huge focus of the commissions. Um, so ag- agronomy and, and genetics. So a large proportion of the levy dollars goes towards funding um, research on the wheat and the barley side. Um, we also put a lot of focus into wheat markets and making sure that we're communicating about market opportunities um, and having discussions on the market side to help make sure that there's a good opportunity to sell that grain as well. Um, extension, again, which is a huge portion of, of my work, uh, making sure we're making those research results available for producers to utilize. Um, but we also work heavily in the policy side as well. Um, so communicating, working with government to make sure that they're understanding kind of the needs and, and the impacts of producers uh, when it comes to policy. And we also look to work on business management tools. Um, so we, we try and um, hit a large facet of different things um, to make sure that we're increasing kind of profitability at the farm gate for farmers. Awesome. 
So to start us off, why are seeding rates important and kind of what do they affect? Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, you know, I love this question um, and it, it seems to be such a large uh, portion of, of the discussion and extension that I do um, yearly because, you know, the way I look at seeding rates, it is, it is one of the most pivotal or, or one of the pivotal pieces of establishing um, a high yield potential and high quality potential crop. Um, we think about fertility um, and, and the value that goes in there, but seeding rates uh, is one of those things that is kind of a foundational piece that allows us to um, set a high yield potential for that crop. Um, so it's an important thing to kind of focus on, to put a strong lens on. Uh, and there's a few different reasons why um, that producers can kind of think about when they're when they're thinking about uh, taking the time to address seeding rates and make sure, making sure they're targeting appropriate seeding rates. Um, so yield potential is huge. There's been a variety of different research done over the past 20, 30 years to show that increasing seeding rates um, you know, up to a certain point will increase yield potential and increase quality. Um, you know, more recent research is, has shown that yield stability is also a big piece of higher seeding rates. Um, so at higher seeding rates, we're seeing more consistent higher yields, um, where at lower seeding rates, uh, when conditions vary, we're more likely to see variable response in that crop. Um, and we're just not able to rely on a, a higher yield potential. <clears throat> um, weed competition is a big proponent of this. Um, you know, weeds are, they're going to continue to be an issue as we move forward. Um, and um, when we set up a higher yield or a higher seeding rate crop, um, that crop is, is more competitive with weeds in the field, um, you know, up to a certain point, but that crop will, um, compete with those weeds, kind of drown them out um, and uh, have them be less of a yield or quality impact um, or, or harvest management impact in the end. Um, there's also the kind of crop evenness um, and tiller number aspect of this. So Alberta has a relatively short growing season. Um, and when we think about trying to capture the most yield in that relatively short growing season, um, we're really targeting a lower amount of, of tillers on each crop or each plant. Um, so when we look at winter wheat and some of the longer growing season or longer growing areas of the world, um, one of the targets is to get as many tillers out producing as much yield as possible because they have 11 months to grow that crop and more tillers means more yield. But when we're in a shorter season, like Alberta uh, and Western Canada, those later tillers do not have the time to mature completely. And they're more likely to pull energy away from main head tillers, reducing yield and potentially reducing quality and impacting harvestability. Um, so what we've seen with higher seeding rates is that there are a higher proportion of main head tillers that are able to finish in time, assuming there isn't some kind of catastrophe in terms of weather, which we always deal with, uh, you know, every, every uh, once in a while. But when we, uh, when we target those 
higher seeding rates and we get a higher proportion of main head tillers, which typically have more kernels on them. They're more plump. There's more yield potential there. Um, we're better able to reach that level of maturity for harvest at a higher yield potential. So when we see lower seeding rates, there's more opportunity for secondary tillers, um, which can reduce yield um, and reduce uh, kind of time to mature or increase time to maturity and, and potential harvest issues. Uh, the other thing we can think about is evenness of the crop. Um, you know, when we're putting in higher seeding rates, then there's less secondary tillers. Um, there's less plants in the field that may be um, misaligned in terms of timing because all of those plants are sitting relatively at the same stage. But if we have a lower seeding rate and we have a lot of secondary, tertiary and, and late tillers, their leaf stages are a little bit different. Their head emergence timings are a little bit different. So when we're applying things like fungicide at head timing or flag leaf timing at the higher seeding rate, we are applying at a more on a more even crop. So when we're targeting flag leaf, we're more likely that we're hitting every flag leaf or a higher proportion of flag leaf than if we have a lower plant stand crop um, where things are a little bit more variable. And this, again, plays a role in, in flag leaf timing, fungicide application, um, head blight timing when we're managing fusarium head blight. So very important when we think about kind of the, the other inputs that we put into a crop other than just seeding rate. Uh, and then the other thing is, is maturity. Yeah, at higher seeding rates, mm -hmm. we typically see a reduction in time to maturity, uh, which again, with a shorter season that we have in Western Canada, um, any way we can capture more yield while reducing time to maturity um, is a valuable piece. So those are kind of the main aspects that, that I'll typically hit on when we talk about seeding rates and, and importance to farmers. That makes sense. We talk about that a lot with like cocktail crops and intercropping is that additional competition, I guess, from the higher seeding rate and the more plants is, does a lot of those things. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, I was, um, I was up in, in, in the piece not too long ago last month um, and was, was chatting with Empara and, and they're doing a few different intercropping mixes. And one of the discussions that came out of that was, different seeding rates of, of these intercrops you know what's which seeding rate do we go mm -hmm. at for for this crop and this crop when we're mixing them together well, one kind of out competes the other and and one isn't as competitive so we need to increase the seeding rate of that and you know it all ties into that um you know which weeds are we competing with um and and how do we kind of push that comp or increase the competition of our crop to kind of drown that out as much as possible. Well, obviously still being profitable because you can't just go at a thousand seeds per mm -hmm. meter squared and expect it to kind of, you know, make up for itself in terms of yield. There's going to be that balance of, okay, what am I dealing with in terms of, of weed competition um, and what's actually going to be economical to put in the ground and, and maximize yield potential. A hundred percent. And on that note, are recommended seeding rates calculated based just on kind of the yield potential and weed control, or are there other factors that you're thinking about when you're recommending seeding rates? Yeah, so it's a great question. Typically with spring wheat, winter wheat, Durham, you know, these things, recommended seeding rates are based on yield potential. There are other factors that will play into to quality, but mainly we're looking at at yield potential. Now the contrast to that is going to be malt barley. Malt barley, the research typically when we're looking at seeding rates, we take a very close look at what quality looks like as well. 
um, John O'Donovan and you know, some of his coworkers looked at seeding rates of malt barley uh, and the recommended seeding rates of 300 seeds per meter squared that came out of that was not just based on yield, but also quality. So plump, thins, um, protein, those kind of factors. So where is that line where we're meeting yield potential, but not pushing ourselves out of those quality parameters, because uh, with malt barley, as we increase seeding rates, we can reduce our, our pumps a little bit and get more thins because there's more competition. So are we staying in that range? Um, so that's one where there's a little bit more kind of intensity on the seeding recommendations, um, not just looking at yield, but for the rest, typically the recommendations come out of, of yield potential and where we're maximizing that. Interesting. Okay. So this trial is looking primarily at wheat. What varieties are you testing and how did you pick those varieties? Yeah, um, so we kind of worked with each of the four groups that are, are running this trial. So um, Peace Country Beef and Forage, Anpara, Sarda, and Mara. So all of these groups, as we kind of worked through these RFPs and, and looking at this trial, kind of communicated about what is the most common varieties that are grown in those areas and what are potential upcomers that may have potential. Um, so there's four varieties that are in, there's Brandon, Viewfield, Redberry, and Wheatland. Uh, so Brandon is picked as that check, that commonly grown variety that we see on almost every farm, if not on every farm, it's at least on the neighbor's farm. Um, and then Redberry and Viewfield, which are you know kind of commonly grown, but maybe not covering as many acres, um, showing it maybe a shorter season variety and kind of that mid-range uh, season variety. Uh, and then Wheatland, which is the upcomer um, that was uh, registered in 2020, so very much a new variety. And then by having all these different genetics, this ties into that conversation of genetics by environment, by management. Um, so we want to understand in different environments, under different management practices, how do these different genetics respond? So all of these three factors will kind of play on each other. So if we have one piece of genetics, so Brandon grown in one location mm -hmm. under a specific management practice, if we take that variety and move it to a different location, will that management practice still be ideal to get the most yield out of that? Now, Brandon is, is you know, it's kind of grown across the province. We know it's pretty flexible in terms of, of where it performs best, but does Viewfield still perform that way? Does Redberry perform that way? And obviously in this trial, we're looking as, at the management of, of seeding rates. So at these different seeding rates we have under this trial, is each variety going to perform the same way at each location? Or um, are there going to be recommendations for each variety at different locations to make the most of the environmental conditions or the management practices that are already in place there? So again, this all kind of ties into that genetics by environment, by management um, theme of if we change one of these things, how does it impact the other? Um, and do we need to be a little bit more fine-tuned when we're changing varieties or changing locations within a variety? That makes sense. So I know the trial you're doing here in the piece is based off some research done between 2019 and 2021 that showed some differences in kind of yield and test weight and protein content based on seeding rates. Um, 
So is it common for different ecoregions and different environments to have different recommended seeding rates? Or is that kind of a new thing that you guys are working on? Yeah, so I think, and again, excellent question. I think, um, you know, this is this is probably something that comes up all the time. And, and it is kind of inherent in the management practices of producers across the province. Alberta is such a massive province with, with varying ecozones. And, and, you know, there was parts of Alberta that barely saw three inches, two inches last year, and, and other parts that saw much more. Um, so our, our recommended seeding rates, are they applicable to all parts of the province? Um, and maybe what I'll say, Joanna, is there is generally, there is one recommended kind of seeding rate range for each crop mm -hmm. across the province. But each part of the province is going to be dealing with different environmental conditions that will be able to take more or less advantage of higher or lower seeding rates. So um, when we think about yield potential as it relates to seeding rates, thinking about environmental conditions and the resources available for a crop to take the most advantage and create the highest yield potential, those higher resource areas that have more rainfall and more organic matter have a higher yield potential, higher average yield potential than somewhere that gets three to four inches of rain and has one to 2% organic matter. So are both areas going to take full advantage of a 35 plants per square foot seeding rate? Maybe some years, but maybe not every year, right? Um, there might be some years where the rainfall is a little bit closer, um, but you know, more likely you're gonna see that contrast in the mm -hmm. amount of resources available for that crop when we put it in the ground. So um, it's important for producers to look at that seeding rate range and ask the question of, you know, am I going to be able to take full advantage of a higher seeding rate? Um, or if I'm in a lower rainfall area with lower organic matter, um, I'm not going to be able to reach that full potential. Um, but that doesn't mean you should should only be targeting the lower seeding rate, um, because when you do get decent rainfall, there's more opportunity to take advantage of that higher seeding rate. Um, you know, the way I like to think about seeding rates as it relates to um, rainfall and yield potential is when you're putting your seed in the ground at a specific seeding rate, and let's say you target a higher seeding rate, you're setting the yield potential higher. And then it's up to the rest of the management practices that you have in place and the environmental conditions that you're going to encounter through the year mm -hmm. to actually reach that higher yield potential. So if you seed at a super high seeding rate, you're going to want in a reasonable amount of rain, you're going to want organic matter releasing nitrogen, um, you're going to want um, good fertility, you're going to want minimal amount of pest pressure from disease or insects to reach that full yield potential. Um, if we go at a lower seeding rate, we're automatically setting the bar at a lower yield potential um, on average. So if we do get perfect rainfall and no pests and mm -hmm. fertility is optimal, we may reach that lower yield potential, but we're not going to really push above that because the seeding rate has kind of set the bar for where the yield potential can be. 
So it's really kind of a risk management of how many years am I in environmental conditions to reach the yield potential for the seeding rate that I'm going at. And this is kind of, if you dig into the research, is kind of inherent in the in the research results where, and this is why there is a range rather than one specific number for seeding rates, um, where we see the maximum yield potential, because in some years, the maximum yield potential that we saw in those research trials is the lowest seeding rate um, in those recommended seeding rates. In some years, it's the highest because environmental conditions have changed. So this is where it's, okay, higher seeding rates produce the highest yield potential um, and the highest yield stability, but we also need to have those environmental conditions to reach that. So in a roundabout way to answer your question, Joanna, is, um, you know, there is one recommended range across Alberta, um, but producers opportunity to take full advantage of high seeding rates is going to differ depending on the environmental conditions that they deal with year in and year out. Right, that makes some sense. All right, so now having got through the really big complicated one, what seeding rates are you testing and how did you pick that range to test? <laughs> yeah, so uh, the seeding rates that we're testing in this trial is 25, 30, and 35 seeds per foot squared or 250, 350, and, and 300 um, seeds per meter squared. This is within the typical recommended range, but a wide enough range that we expect to see some differences in results. You know, it's not on the extreme ends of sometimes where, where seeding rates occur. Uh, you know, I, I've worked with producers in the Innisfail region where, you know, typically they see a decent amount of rain. They're in the six to 8% organic matter range, uh, and they will push 38, 40, sometimes 42 uh, seeds per foot squared uh, because they know that they have the environmental conditions to reach that. So we knew within this range, it's reasonable for most producers to be targeting somewhere or large majority of producers to be targeting somewhere in this range. And it's a wide enough range that we expect to see results uh, between varieties and between locations. So. It's seeding rates that we hope to see results from, but the results from it can be applicable on farm to producers. You know, if we if we threw in a, a 50 seeds per, per foot squared and we saw, you know, whatever results we're going to see, typically that's not going to be economical for producers to be putting that much seed into the ground, especially at the price we had last year. So we wanted those seeding rates to be reasonable for adoption, depending on the results we get from these trials. All right, so what what sort of measurements will you be using to compare between these seeding rates? I know you've kind of mentioned a bunch of the metrics that you use, but what will you be measuring in this trial? Yeah, there's a, a few different measurements that we wanna take from this to get an idea of whether it's, it's something that's valuable to producers. You know, obviously we want yield. We want to know whether this is impacting yield. That's it's going to be um, one of the most important, but also thousand kernel weight. Is there an impact on thousand kernel weight, test weight, moisture, grade and protein, days to maturity, and then if there's any lodging that's occurring. So these are going to be the main factors that we'll look at and, and be able to hopefully provide results on mm -hmm. at these different seeding rates with these different varieties. And again, you know, these are kind of um, staple pieces of information that hopefully we'll be able to see kind of adoption um, for producers based on the information that we pull from this. Definitely. 
Now, very briefly, I know one consideration for plant density, as you mentioned earlier, is weed control. So how much of a difference do you expect or have you seen from high seeding rate to low seeding rate in terms of weed population? Yeah, so I <laughs> I really like this question um, so much that not too long ago, I uh, bugged Dr. Brian Tideman, who's a researcher at, at AAFC Lacombe, uh, who focused on uh, focuses on on weed management and integrated weed management. I asked her this question. Um, and as typical with agronomy and agriculture is, you know, it depends. It, it depends on a lot of different things of what's going on. It depends, um, you know, what's going on in that seed bank. How much weed seed is in there? And what kind of presence is already there? What weed type or species are you dealing with? Some weeds are going to be more competitive than others. So increasing a seeding rate of your crop may have an impact on some weed species, but others, it just may not be enough to compete. Um, so it depends on what weed species you're dealing with. Row spacing. Row spacing is going to play a role in this as well, right? Like you can do a, a huge seeding rate, um, you know, 40 seeds per foot squared. Uh, but if you're on 20 inch rows, there's still plenty of room for those weeds to go in there. So, you know, this is gonna play a role in, in what kind of competition we're, we're gonna see and how much is gonna compete with those weeds. If you're on six inch, seven inch or nine inch rows, maybe that super high seeding rate is having more of an effect because you're creating more of a canopy earlier in the season and you're better, better able to compete with those weeds. So. There's going to be a few different factors that that um, impact that, but also, you know, seeding date. How early are you seeding? You know, we've seen research from Dr. Brian Barris with ultra early seeded wheat. Um, if we're seeding earlier, we have more of those tillering leaves, creating a canopy earlier in the season. And you know, we always talk about the target of having as much canopy as possible prior to June 21st, the longest day of the year, we're capturing as much sunlight as possible. And then we're creating more of that competition. But if we seed much later, you know, we're more likely to be competing with some of those weeds emerging. So that's going to play a role in that as well, but also variety. And, you know, there isn't a ton of research or, or none that I've really come across um, for Alberta and some of the varieties we use on which varieties are more, more or less competitive, right? But I think inherently there's going to be some differences in, in competitive ability between varieties and between crops in Western Canada. So all of these things are going to play a role in weed competition and to say that there's a specific rate that's going to increase your weed competition or, or up to this point, it's going to increase your weed competition, um, I think is simplifying the, the concept a little bit too much. It's more about playing the odds, right? If we increase our seeding rates, we're more likely to have a larger canopy. If we seed early, we're more likely to have a larger canopy early. And if we do that, we're more likely to shade out and outcompete a larger proportion of the weeds. So this is just playing the odds in your favor. It doesn't mean you're gonna outcompete every weed, but you're gonna increase your opportunity to compete with those weeds. 
you know, we talk about winter wheat being an opportunity to kind of compete with more weeds or even hybrid rye, right? We see that in the fall. By the time spring comes around, especially with hybrid rye, you have a very good soil coverage. You're out competing a lot of those weeds and, you know, you're going to get those more competitive weeds, but your weed profile that you have to control for is going to be a little bit more narrow and it's going to be less of an issue impacting your yield. So, you know, this is the same kind of process. We're thinking about spring seeded cereals. We're just playing the odds in our favor to be more competitive. Interesting. So for anybody who's interested in the results of this trial, where can they go to find information on it? I know PCBFA will probably have it in our annual report, but. <laughs> yeah, and I, once once everything is, is harvested um, and we get the results from you guys, you know, we'll be sharing that in our, our newsletter as well. So whether you're following any of the groups uh, that are conducting these trials or, or us, you'll likely get it sent to your inbox in some way. It'll be an article on our, our agronomy website. So it'll be kind of static that we can go there and refer to that after. And if not, I'm sure you can bug either of us, uh, Joanna or myself, and, and we'll be able to share those results for you. So yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see what comes of this. Me too. All right. Uh, before we wrap up, are there any other links or projects you'd like to mention before we sign off? Yeah, so um, there's two pieces that I think tie in very well to this. Alberta Wheat and Alberta Barley produced a new seeding rate calculator for this past year. So producers can use it to calculate the appropriate seeding rate they want to target. Um, it has all the recommended seeding rates on there as a reference, but there's also tons of other information that's available there on that webpage. You know, the impacts of different seeding rates, which we've mentioned here, but it will go into to more detail. Um, there's more detail on seeding best management practices, maybe under different conditions, under dry conditions, under late. So there's tons of resources there. Even um, assessing plant stands, the one thing we didn't get into uh, today, Joanna, is, is assessing your plant stand. It's one thing to you know seed based on 1,000 kernel weight and then targeting this, you put it in the ground and then you never go back and check to see how much, you know, that's the other half of what I talk about a lot in the spring <laughs> is kind of following up and seeing what actually emerged. You know, you can seed based on your 1,000 kernel weight and based on the expected germination of your seed test, um, but mortality, between germination and emergence can vary depending on your field, environmental conditions, your seeding management practices, what type of seeder you're using. So knowing in general what is going on on your farm in your fields for emergence mortality is going to help you better align your seeding rate targets. But that's a whole nother can of worms we'll go into. But, you know, you can go to albertawheatbarley.com slash seeding rate calculator. And uh, and then the other thing is our, our growing point newsletter. You know, this is a, a monthly newsletter that we try and put out uh, timely agronomic information based on research that we've funded and historic research. So uh, that way producers have access to kind of timely information in season. And we also do out of season as well. So that's the growing point. So albertawheatbarley.com slash the growing point. So two great resources um, that we put out. And yeah, I think that's it, Joanna. Right on. Well, thank you so much for doing this. I think there's some great information. Thanks for having me, Joanna. I appreciate it. East Country Beef and Forage Association is a research and extension group based out of Fairview, Alberta. Our mission is to help producers thrive in an agricultural system that is profitable, regenerative, and attractive to future generations. 
To learn more about what we do and see the results of our research trials or our archive of newsletters and fact sheets, check out our website at peacecountrybeef.ca. Want to get in touch? Have a burning question or a topic suggestion? Send us a message on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.